So what's a wellness shorty? It's a weekly snippet of sciencey stuff that will improve your odds of aging in good health. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, your host and owner of Rebellious Wellness Over 50. I'm a health and better aging coach for women over 50 who want to live fully until they die, not just run out the clock. Look, midlife and beyond is the Olympics of change. I'm here to prepare you because aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. Hey everybody, this shorty was born out of me getting an answer to the question I get so often, does our metabolism slow down after 40? And if so, why? The answer is yes, hashtag bummer. But also you might be saying, I knew it wasn't my fault. Doesn't that feel good? I'll dig into the whys and what to do about it things in a second, but I have a fun fact to share first. Did you know that just like female killer and pilot whales, we are the only other species where females live significantly beyond their reproductive age? Female killer whales generally breed between the ages of 12 to 40, but they can survive into their 90s just like us. But why? And is it the same for us as it is for Orsinus orca? Well, researchers for both orcas and humans have discovered the presence of grandmothers in a population enhances maternal survival during childhood. We also carry information that's important for the survival of the tribe when food is scarce and other potentially life-threatening situations come our way. And whale elders, just like human grandmas and aunties, give parents of young children time off by offering to take the kids for a bit. I wonder if whales also spoil their grandkids or nieces and nephews. So living past childbearing years has an evolutionary tribal benefit but it comes with a whole lot of changes, I don't know whether the whales go through this, that can put a damper on our day-to-day, mentally and physically. I bet you can relate. So slowed metabolism equals weight gain, unless we know what's coming and what to do to counter it. Now, weight gain isn't just about bigger genes. At any age, it usually, at least in women, comes accompanied by self-loathing, frustration. It can even lead to depression. At midlife, add to the creeping numbers on the scale, this feeling of a loss of control and not knowing what to do to make it stop. And so we invite blame into the mix. We think, I'm smart, I should be able to figure this out. It's not that you're not smart, it's that you weren't prepared because most of the recommendations and research that gets passed around is based on what I'll call shallow science. And it's incredibly hard to figure all this out on your own. That's why I'm here. And I hope this shorty will help you so you can regain control and know where to look for solutions and start a plan to reverse the trend. Now, I pride myself on getting to the facts when it comes to the science of healthy aging. Some subjects are harder to crack than others. Like the question I posed here, does it get slower or do we? Are we programmed to hold on to more fat after menopause or do we eat more and move less, which is what the conventional Western medical model would have you believe? Guess what? Although that is a possibility, it is certainly not true for all women. And it ignores the big, huge role played by our hormones. We'll get to that in a minute, but first, a little genetic piece. Genetic factors might play a role in menopausal weight gain. Now, in case you've never heard me say this, genetics play about a 20% role in how we age. So within that 20%, 
It might be that if your parents or other close relatives carried weight around the middle, you are likely to do the same, especially if they, if that weight showed up as they aged. Now, we have to also talk about sleep and how it affects our metabolism and our ever, excuse me, let's start with how sleep affects our metabolism and our ever easier than ever ability to gain weight. All of you know that sleep gets wonky during hormonal changes, especially as we age. When we don't get enough sleep, we tend to snack more. Have you ever noticed that? And consume more calories. Why? The brain is looking for quick fuel to combat the sleepiness or fatigue. And where does it go to find that energy? Carbs and sugar. Does the word craving sound familiar? Stress calls in the hormone cortisol definitely produced when we don't sleep well over time, which can also produce cravings and, as I'll see in a moment, hunger and satiety hormones, when out of balance, join in the party. So first let's talk about estrogen. Though menopause doesn't automatically add pounds just because our estrogen declines, it does lead to changes that may make it more difficult to maintain your premenopausal weight. Some research suggests that estrogen may help control weight and that less estrogen may lower the metabolic rate. So metabolic rate equals how quickly the body burns calories. Bottom line, as estrogen levels decline during menopause, you may gain weight more easily than you did in the past. Anyhow, low estrogen is messing with our brains and specifically the brain signals to burn carbs and regulate where fat gets stored. Like, let's add insult to injury, right? Hence, we get muffin tops and jelly bellies. But why, and is there any sense behind this? So Dr. Moscone is a female brain expert. She wrote a book called The Double X Brain. It's a great read. Her research answers the does it make sense question. Yes, she would say, and I quote her here, because adipose tissue, that's fat tissue, produces estrone, and this is the backup form of estrogen for postmenopausal women, end quote. The body knows that estrogen is important, so it finds an alternative source once the ovaries stop producing like they used to. Here's more on why we want to eat more and get more cravings. During the menopause transition, the levels of leptin, which is the hormone that helps us to recognize fullness, declines. Low levels signal the brain to increase feelings of hunger, which, unless you have discipline on top of willpower, leads to eating more at a time when you're likely burning less energy. So the increased appetite and weight gain that postmenopausal women experience is caused mostly by these big shifts in our hormones and our biochemistry, not because, as Western medicine would have you believe, we're lazy and we sit around all day and eat bonbons, although once in a while I might do that. So you might know, speaking of how we burn calories, that muscle burns calories even at rest. The more muscle we have, the more bonus burn we get when we're not doing anything like sitting on that couch. Studies suggest, sadly, that women suffer a 1.17% muscle mass decrease and about a half a percent of muscle strength decrease per year after menopause. And as I said, lower muscle mass is associated with decreased resting metabolism, meaning burning less fuel, making it easier to gain weight. Not to mention, that's a lot of muscle mass to lose and muscle strength if we're not doing something. So, this is what I want you to take away. 
Muscle burns calories just by being there. So it would be in our best interest to maintain as much muscle as we can. And that will likely take a conscious effort, a plan, and finding a weight training exercise that you enjoy and will stick to. What's the best exercise for us to do? The one we enjoy and will stick to. Okay, but wait, there's more. Lower estrogen levels also lead to insulin resistance, which can increase fat mass, makes losing weight more difficult. So are you feeling a little comforting, comforted? Like this isn't all your fault, like it's just not you, right? There's a lot going on in the body right now. So what do you do? Well, let's start with food. We all have to take a good look at what's on our plates. Let's call it the distribution of macronutrients if we wanna get scientific. We're talking about carbs, fat, and protein. And we're gonna look at this not just for maintaining a healthy weight, but for overall health. Some things have to change as we age. That's just the way it is. I always say that midlife is the Olympics of change and it doesn't stop at midlife. So let's talk about food and what happens when we eat food. When I use the word glycemic, I want you to think about blood sugar and I'm gonna do a quick sciencey bit on glycemic load and the glycemic index. You might have heard of those. So the glycemic index is the most commonly spoken about, at least where I read. It's a measurement of how much food will raise your blood sugar. The food gets a measure between zero and 100, 100 being pure sugar and zero being, I don't think anything is a zero, but the glycemic load measures how quickly a food delivers glucose into your bloodstream. Now that might sound like it's the same thing, but it's not. For instance, a watermelon, a piece of watermelon, for example, has a high glycemic index, it's 80 on a scale of zero to 100 because it has sugar, but a serving of watermelon has so little carbohydrate because it's mostly water that the glycemic load is only about five. So it might be good for anybody concerned about weight loss and or is pre-diabetic to research that, see what kind of foods you love, where are they on the glycemic load because that takes both of them into account and this will help you make better choices for your food because we don't want to spike our blood sugar regardless of weight, okay? It's just not healthy unless like, okay, wait, let me back up. We eat, our blood sugar goes up. It should come back down within about 90 minutes to baseline. But if we're continually spiking it or if it goes too high and you have insulin resistance, it takes a really long time for it to come back down. All of that sugar circulating around in your bloodstream is not good for you. It's actually rusting you from the inside out, but we'll get to that. So if you're wondering which of the myriad popular food prescriptions, also known as diets, have been proven over and over again to work for women, look no further than the paleo diet. A true paleo diet consists of lean meats, fruits, nuts, vegetables, eggs, berries, and fish. It leaves out grains, legumes, sugar, dairy, potatoes, or added salt. Now, this might seem harsh, and certainly there should be an 80-20 approach, approach to any restrictive diet plan or you won't last on it, but listen to this. A research lab in the UK followed 1,800 menopausal women over 24 months. They were told to eat as they normally would, a standard diet of five to six grams. I mean, five to six servings of whole grains, low fat, low protein. That was one diet, or follow a paleo diet. Those on the paleo diet lost more fat more waist circumference and lowered their triglycerides more than on the standard not so healthy diet. And thank you to Mark Sisson for that little bit of information. 
As it turns out, many women report not being able to tolerate as many carbs as they did before this hormonal change kicked in. Lower carb tolerance, it's called, then. Although sad as it is to have to eat smaller portions of our beloved pasta and bread, it could lead to an overall healthier you. You really have to listen to your body and see how you feel after eating your usual portions and types of foods. And I'm right now going to talk about carbohydrates. So if after you eat, you feel bloated, you're sleepy, or you have a lot of gas or any gas more than usual because we all have gas, then lower your carbs to cut them in half or lower them to one serving per day or upgrade the quality of them. If you like white bread, maybe try a whole grain one. See if you feel better because there's something in there that probably will help. So there's one word of caution when it comes to weight loss at any age. It is definitely good if it's something you want to do as long as it's within, you know, having a normal healthy body weight, not overdoing it. But it can have an unwanted side effect, which is lower bone mineral density, uh, bone loss, sorry, bone mineral loss, which leads to bone density loss. So when we cut out whole grain carbs and beans, it can mean eliminating some nutrients and minerals that are important for healthy bones. So we have to take that into account. Also a loss of muscle. Muscle weight is something you lose if you're not doing muscle uh, weight bearing exercises and building up your muscles, easy for it to diminish. Remember I said earlier, I gave you a couple of percentages of how much uh, strength and muscle tone we lose over the years. So we have to keep that in mind. And how do we find the balance? So add weight bearing exercises to your weight loss program, if you're into that. I mean, if you're doing a weight loss program and ensure that you're getting the right minerals and vitamins for your bones and your body. Don't skimp on proteins. If you wanna learn what that would look like with you, for you, book a call or send me an email and we'll schedule a time to do an assessment. Now, all of this talk about the effects of diminish, diminishing estrogen leads me to a brief primer on hormone replacement. Bioidentical hormone replacement for things like estrogen, progesterone, progesterone and testosterone can help with all of the estrogen related problems I mentioned. It will be an upcoming topic for a shorty, which reminds me, if you're not signed up to get my newsletter, why don't you head over onto my website, rebelliouswellnessoverfifty.com. Do the thing. Sign up if you want to get the deeper dives on all of these things about aging so it doesn't have to ruin your life. So natural hormone replacement replaces what your body originally had in its ideal state when your hormone levels were optimal and your body was less susceptible to disease and you were feeling youthful. BHRT is cardio, brain, and bone protective. All the things that I mentioned before, I said because estrogen is lower this and because estrogen is lower that. If you can restore, and you can, some of those hormones in balance, you will see the effects in less brain fog. You might have better heart blood pressure numbers. Your bones might be less, uh, you might, they might thin less. They're safe as long as you're tested before starting them to see whether you actually need them and then what level you might need them. It might take a little time to get the perfect dose because um, the standard way they do it is height and weight and then they assign you a prescription. Um, but the best doctors will say, let's try this for a couple of weeks and see how you feel and then we'll adjust. But I can attest to the magic that they bring. So before I sign off, we have to talk about exercise. I have mentioned weight bearing. Studies have found um, studies have, that I found have suggested that non-impact types of exercise, such as spinning, swimming, rowing, even yoga, 
can help perimenopause and postmenopausal women reduce fat mass, waist circumference, waist to hip ratio, all while lot, excuse me, lowering blood cholesterol and blood sugar levels. And since they're low impact, these types of exercises are less likely to cause injury. Of course, anything can cause an injury, but less likely than say pounding the pavement or running or doing kettlebells or something like that. And if you add an element of hit or high intensity interval training to whatever your exercise program is, you'll increase your results, not only the cardio, but um, all kinds of other things. Now, you may not be familiar with the waist to hip ratio. I just threw that out there. It's a quick measure of factor distribution that may help indicate a person's overall health. People who carry more weight around their middle than their hips may be at higher risk of developing certain health conditions. As we age, many former pairs, as in the fruit, which are people that carry their weight in their lower body, may find that they're turning into apples where it moves into the midsection. That's a kind of fat storage that can lead to things not being so good for our health. So here's how to do the hip to weight. Hip, <laughs> waist to hip ratio. If you haven't done it before, you need a cloth tape measure. You wanna measure your waist just above the belly button. This should be where the waist is smaller, smallest. However, if you don't have any more a waist anymore like me, just look for your belly button and wrap that thing around you. Don't pull the tape measure too tight. You're not fooling anybody but yourself if you do. Okay, then write that number down. Then measure the circumference of your hips. Stand up straight, have that same tape measure around the widest part of your hips. Write that down. Then you're going to calculate your waist to hip ratio by dividing your waist measurement by your hip measure measurement. Sorry, I can't speak. Um, if you have point, Eight zero, you're at moderate risk. No, sorry, if it's greater than 0 0.80, you're at moderate risk. 0.181 to 0.85 is high, and anything over 0.86 or higher is a higher risk of all kinds of things, but mostly insulin resistance and other problems that come with having too much fat around the internal organs. And by the way, if you're not good with numbers, and that really does sound like an annoying calculation to have to make, just do it this way. If your belly sticks out beyond your frame, like an apple, you're due for an assessment of your lifestyle habits. So here's the recap. Is it easier to put on weight at and after perimenopause? Answer is yes. Why is weight loss so hard after menopause? Here's why. Energy expenditure. It is possible that we do move less and our basic metabolic weight drops with menopause. Lower levels of estrogen increase appetite and reduce the feelings of satiety. If you're experiencing another common side effect of menopause, which is insomnia, your sleep-deprived brain's reward system will be more susceptible to the allure of sweet, salty, crunchy, smooth junk food. And hey, by the way, we're getting older. Weight becomes easier to put on and harder to take off, both for men and women. And some of that has to do with less moving around, it's possible. But you know, if you have less energy, you're not gonna wanna do as much as you did before, or you just won't feel like it. Find your rhythm of energy throughout the day, and that will point you to the best time to get in some exercise. And look, there's hope. Everybody who goes through menopause doesn't blossom into a bigger version of themselves. And those few pounds might even be a bonus for healthy aging. I'm in research mode on that right now. Bottom line is, don't let it get you down. Weight gain is normal. 
Vigilance so it doesn't get out of hand is advised. Whatever your new normal body is after 50 might lead to feelings of being unattractive. And some people will give up on changing habits because of that or might limit social engagement. Regardless of whether you want to take on the weight loss or leave it as it is, connection and self-love are super important ingredients as for staying healthy as we age. I am not kidding. Connection comes up over and over when I talk to the professionals on my podcast as one of the most important factors for healthy aging, especially for your heart. People that become isolated or experience loneliness have higher levels of heart disease. So love yourself at any size. Keep an eye on what your body wants as fuel, how it feels when you move or you don't. And if you have a predisposition to a lifestyle disease, find out what to do to keep it at bay. And if you're experiencing unexplained weight gain or other symptoms of the menopause transition and you're ready to have someone guide you through all the ups and downs and help you create a plan to age better, let's talk. Send me an email, gregory at rebelliouswellnessover50.com or go to the website and check out the services page so you can see how I work with people. It might be just what you need to take back control of that ever-changing body.